Hello. Hey, morning, Sean. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll get started here. You all set? I am. Looks like you are. (laughs) On the line with us today, Sean Carroll, professor of philosophy at Johns Hopkins University, author of many books. The one we're going to talk about, The Biggest Ideas in the Universe, Space, Time, and Motion. And if I could, Sean, I'll just recite some of the books you've written before. I love these titles. Um, The Article. The Article? The Particle at the End of the Universe. End of the Universe. The Big Picture. And From from Eternity to Here. I like what you did that there. Um, You've got all kinds of interesting things here. Um, you know, I've been doing these podcasts with, with new books, and I've come to really enjoy what they put on the inside of the book cover, the kind of the description <laughs> of the book. So I want to read it to everybody here. Just a brief paragraph. Physics off- offers deep insights into the workings of the universe, but those insights come in the form of equations that often look like gobbledygook. Sean Carroll shows that they are really like meaningful poems that can help us fly over Sierras to discover a miraculous multi-dimensional landscape alive with radiant giants, warped, <laughs> warped space-time, and bewilderingly powerful forces. Wow, that's uh, I would never have thought to write all that. Um, but I know you make a point of trying to help us, us being the lay people of the world, with equations. Uh, your book is loaded with them. But you you uh, you take a different tack on it. It isn't these aren't insurmountable problems. You kind of work it through. Uh, give us a, your line on that again. What what do you what do you say about equations to people that are not at home with that that uh, form of communication? Yeah, the book is absolutely aimed at everybody. It doesn't necessarily uh, require that you have any facility or interest in equations, but modern physics is spoken in the language of mathematics. And so the question is, can you teach the real stuff, the real way that physicists think about these things to people who aren't already experts in math? And I think that there's an impression that, you know, a physics student takes years of courses to catch up to the cutting edge stuff. First year in college, second year, et cetera, all the way up to graduate school. But the thing is, those people are specifically being trained to be professional physicists, not just to understand the concepts, but to solve the equations and put them to work. If we lower our sights a little bit and just say, all I want to do is understand what's going on. I don't want to do homework. I don't want to take a test and solve a problem, okay? I just want to understand the ideas. Then it becomes enormously easier. And you can really literally skip to the fun parts and really understand what's going on behind ideas all the way up to Einstein's theory of relativity. Where were you when I was in high school? That's what I want to know because it doesn't (laughs) seem like that. That approach really comes across all the time. And, and of course, I'm speaking as someone who probably didn't do their necessary background work to, to understand better. But no, it is fascinating to, to read this book and um, just, to, just to try to sort of follow along with you, because, you know, there are some interesting concepts and, and you break it down. What do you say to somebody who says, OK, what, what, are, the, what are the more important things I should learn? Uh, about physics. I mean, you've got Einstein's theory of relativity in there. You've got all kinds of Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, his second law, you know, uh, mechanical, whatever it is. I've forgotten now, but you know, the, 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 where do you start? 
What, what's your thought on that? Well, I think that one of the great things about going through a book like this is that it's not just a list of disconnected ideas. By going through it, you begin to see the connections, how Aristotle leads to Newton, and Newton leads to Laplace, and Laplace leads to Einstein, and Einstein leads to Schwarzschild, etc. There's a reason why these ideas appear in a certain sequence, and the history behind them is kind of fascinating, how at the time, nobody knows what the right idea is. They're debating it. You know, today, we think it's all settled stuff, but at the time, it's the, it's the new cutting-edge uh, fun things that are still quite speculative. So you begin to see this, these ideas appearing over and over again, ideas like calculus, ideas like symmetry, ideas like simplicity. Uh, and yet people are disagreeing and fighting with each other because they're all human beings. And the final result is a set of equations, which I like to emphasize are much smarter than we are. <laughs> Einstein's equation for general relativity made predictions that Einstein himself didn't know about. And in fact, he resisted some of them at the time. But these days, we see that they're coming true in our telescopes and our microscopes all the time. It's, we're talking with Sean Carroll, author of uh, The Biggest Ideas in the Universe. And Sean, how did you get into this? Um, you know, because we're talking about uh, prominent mathematicians from history, and obviously you're you're a student of that history. When when did you become um, sort of involved with with the idea of physics? You know, I was one of those I think fortunate kids who just started finding out about what they wanted to do for a living at a very young age. I was say like ten years old or something like that reading books from the local public library on black holes and the big bang and elementary particles, quarks and leptons. And I, I thought, you know, look, this is the most interesting stuff in the universe. I want to understand it better. I want to do this for a living. Now, I don't recommend usually that people decide what they want to do for a living when they're 10 years old. I mean, what do they know? What did I know? But in my case, I got lucky that I hit on something that was actually pretty rewarding. Well, that's great. Well, and it is rewarding. I mean, because the whole idea of, of space and, and the, the exploration of space, which I know is, is, you know, going on far beyond whatever I can imagine, but has it accelerated in your time? Is, you mentioned you're reading about black holes and things when you were a youngster. Uh, what about now? Is it with the internet and with these vast telescopes, has the pace picked up or what, what, how, would you, how would you say it right now? Oh my God, it's impossible to keep up. It's, <laughs> there's so much going on out there. And as a, uh, let's say someone of a certain age, like myself, I have to rely on young people who are more energetic and ambitious than I am to sift through all the stuff coming out and bring to me the good parts and you know the really exciting things. But look, that's okay. That's how it should be. That's how we come across really great ideas is that we come up with a lot of ideas and some of them are going to be great. So I, I'm very optimistic about the future of science in general because we have so many smart people working so hard on so many big ideas that it, our scientific revolution of the world is just beginning. It's not nearing a close. Now, you, you took an interesting tack with your book and, and perhaps your other books, which I'm not familiar with, I apologize, but the, the idea of bringing it back to everyday understanding, not necessarily to work the equations yourself, but to understand what's involved. Is that something that could be translated into our school system in your mind? I mean, are we, are we doing what we should? Now, I'm not asking you to take on a new challenge here that, 
you know, <laughs> revise uh, <laughs> the, the mathematical teachings of the world. But what are your, what are your thoughts there now? You know, I think the single thing for me that I would like to see different in how we teach physics in particular, but science more generally in schools is we very often do present it as a series of facts, right? Here is mm -hmm. Isaac Newton's law. Here right. is the law for combustion or the orbital of an electron or whatever it is, Darwinian evolution. But what science is, is a process. It's a procedure. It's a way that starts, as I said, by making a lot of hypotheses and most of them will be wrong and then cutting down those hypotheses by going out and testing them. And we kind of hint at that, but I don't think that we give students really the impression that all of these ideas that are now so settled and famous were once completely speculative and unproven and had alternatives that at the time seemed quite reasonable. I would like Rather, I would prefer rather than having students memorize a bunch of theorems and formulas to give them the scientific mindset of thinking about different alternatives, really being skeptical about any of them until they could compare them to what actually happens out there in the universe. I, I like the one of your, your lines in the book is uh, one of the wonderful features of physics is how disparate notions can be brought together by the power of a good theory which is kind of what you were saying there, that sometimes things are, you know, argued over. I know you have, well, you cite them in the book. Uh, oftentimes, uh, great minds don't agree on, on concepts that uh, the rest of us are kind of looking uh, befuddled as, as these guys are arguing over it. But, um, but that's, that's something that I, I wish we could transfer that into other areas of our world, like politics, uh, you know, where we could... Yeah, have disparate ideas, but let's let's get them together uh, under a good theory. I'm just going to say one of the great things about science or even about just academic scholarship more broadly is that when it works, you have people who really disagree with each other, but then they go out and they're friends afterward, okay. right? Because they know that well, ultimately we'll figure it out. It's not you know our personal self-worth that is on the line. Like I said, when it works, there are some scientists out there who maybe get a little bit too attached to their ideas, but we'll, we'll let them go. Uh, you know, one of the things, and this, this is just something that popped into my head when I was looking at your book, and that's, is there an equation that involves eternity? Because that concept bothered me at one time when I was a kid, just thinking about yeah. that, like, how do I get my arms around that, <laughs> head around it, whatever it is? I do talk about that stuff. One of the things I like to do in the book, even though, again, it's a pretty short book, I don't overstuff it with too much stuff, but I do want to give a little bit of time and space to the philosophical underpinnings of some of these questions. You know, is nature continuous or is it discrete? Is it finite or is it infinite? These are things we don't know the answers to, but we can raise the questions in a scientific way, you know, and ultimately... I'm with you. I understand that it can be disturbing to <laughs> contemplate some of these ideas, but nature doesn't care how disturbed <laughs> we are. So we can't rely on that feeling. We have to go out there and look at what the universe is. And, and the universe is, as you said, ever-changing, exploding now with, with all these concepts. You know, I've, I've uh, been reading about the, the new telescope and what that's bringing to uh, well, bringing to bear, because I guess everyone and their brother wants some telescope time to 
shoot out into the universe and see all this. Is that something that uh, is going to make a huge difference or in your mind? Or what, what, do, you, what do you think about that? The, uh, the Webb telescope, I guess I'm talking about. You know, I recently moved to a new job at Johns Hopkins University, where my office is literally across the street from the Space Telescope Science Institute. So I'm contractually obligated to say nice things about the new space <laughs> telescope. But the good news is it's easy to say nice things because huh. astronomers have uh, a conventional wisdom that is very, very reliable that every time you look at the world in a different way, you discover things you hadn't anticipated. There's a immense richness of phenomena going out there in the universe. And so some things that we're looking at with the James Webb Space Telescope are things that we've been waiting to see for a long time, but other things will just surprise us. And that's the most exciting part. My special interest here is actually in looking at planets around other stars, because that's something we know they exist, but we don't know a lot about them. And this telescope will help us greatly increase our knowledge. Talking with Sean Carroll, author of The Biggest Ideas in the Universe. One more thing, Sean, and that's um, I, I love the fact that early on in your book, and, and I hope I'm not uh, spoiling this for folks who haven't seen the <laughs> Please movie. Please do. Yet. <laughs> but you, you, you make a great point about the laws of physics by using the example of the movie Gravity, which starred George Clooney and Sandra Bullock. And you, you mentioned, and I guess folks who have seen this will understand it, I don't know. I have not seen the movie, but from your description, I thought not only do you say, OK, well, that couldn't happen, but here's how it could have happened. You know, they, yeah. you actually give them a, a, you know, an accurate way that would have made, you know, it would have been maybe a different movie. But I just thought that was fascinating. Do you do that with every movie you go into when you when you see a sci fi like well, you know, I, I have done a, quite a bit of consulting on movies, uh, uh, oh, and it's a lot of fun because I, I don't think that the job of a movie is to get the laws of physics right. You know, the job of a movie is to tell a good story. But I do think that sometimes you tell a better story by getting the laws of physics right. So when you don't need to change the laws of physics in order to tell the story in an effective way, let's do that. And I think it actually, there's something implicit or subconscious when you're watching a movie about how the things that you're looking at fit into your intuitions about reality. And when things obey the laws of physics, you're more immersed in the cinematic experience than when they look artificial. When, when you're called in to consult, well, how does that work? Do they send you a script and you go pencil it through and say, no, no, black holes can't collide or something like <laughs> that? Or how does that work? It depends a lot on on the movie, like very often they'll have a script and they'll just bring you in for a couple hours of consultation and bat some ideas around. And, you know, very often you don't as a science consultant have a big effect because they already have their script and they know what they want to do and they kind of want to make it a little bit more respectable than it is. So respectable. So I, honestly, my best contributions have been to jokes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's been my greatest cinematic uh offering there so that's okay i'll take that how about, how about the next book sean uh jokes that physics uh, prominent physics uh, <laughs> teachers like or something like that you, you got a great one well hey sean carroll author of the biggest ideas in the universe we thank you so much um fascinating material uh wish you the best and uh we'll look forward to the next uh, well this is the first of a 
uh, a series, right? The the book you write, you've got. There's going to be more coming. This is this is book one. That's right, book one. So we'll we'll probably get back to you, Sean. Thanks again. That'd be great. Bye bye. Thank you very much.